What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. G'day everyone. So my name's Peter. I'm from Australia originally. Grew up on the mission field uh, in with the Australian Aborigines and then in my, my dad was a pastor, my mum was a nurse, then we went to South America, middle of South America, and then I had uh, the opportunity to do all my high school in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, you know, the purpose of this time of prayer is to pray for Argentina to beat Uruguay today. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. Um, yeah, there we go. But I have, I'm going to use this. I don't usually use this method, but uh, I'm going to use it here. Oh, that's the first service. Uh, here, let's get a new one here. Boom. Okay. Oh, how do I get rid of that? Okay, there you go. The title of my message this morning uh, is Creating with God. It's the middle of the night, and I've been sleeping for a few hours. Suddenly, I'm wide awake. Nothing is wrong, but I find myself unable to just roll over and go back to sleep. As I lie there in limbo, a distinct impression comes to my mind. Get up and pray. My flesh immediately counters. That cannot be God. I rebuke that thought. I toss around for a few more minutes, and again, the mental call comes to go downstairs and pray. I look at my alarm clock, such tiny red numbers, 1.23 a.m. My electric blanket is on six, maybe not here in Florida. I'm baking golden brown, and I begin to make my appeal. Lord, I'm exhausted. If I get up, I'm sure one day I'm going to die of a heart attack. There is no response I gradually become aware of a sense of conviction, but it seems vague, so I try to ignore it. Then I take a different tactic. Lord, I'm almost asleep again. Almost, almost, but not quite. (laughs) God, I know you're looking for someone to stand in the gap, but isn't there a place for someone who's willing to lie in the gap? (laughs) Finally, I harden my heart and eventually fall back to sleep. In the morning, while I'm brushing my teeth, I remember last last night's battle. Though I struggle to discredit its validity, the gnawing authenticity of what really happened is overpowering. What did I miss? What life-changing exchange could have taken place? This morning, I want to address a question I've had for many years, and in the guest bathroom at my former pastor's house. He retired, new pastor at our church. But in the guest room, there was a a sign that said, prayer changes things. What exactly does it change? True story. So, graduating from high school in Argentina, went back to Australia, and uh, before 
going into further studies, I decided to hitchhike around the world. Of course, you can't hitchhike out of Australia. <laughs> it's, it's an island, so I had to get on a ship to Panama, hitchhike through South America, then got on a flight to Amsterdam. I was going to visit, I was going to hook up with some friends in Greece, and we were headed toward Nepal and India, Afghanistan. Um, it's where the drugs were. That was, uh, this was the hippie trail, okay? That's how long ago it was. Some of you might remember that. Uh, and, uh, but was incarcerated. Uh, put in jail. Uh, Christmas morning, I woke up in jail and my mind went back to Australia to the night before I left Sydney and my parents were having a Bible study, a prayer time, and I was sneaking out my bedroom. I had to kind of go through the perimeter of the living room to get to the front door and and they spotted me and dragged me into the middle of this prayer group. Not literally, okay, but I had no choice. They made that clear. All laid hands on me, prayed over me and one of my mum's friends had a prophecy, and the, the prophecy, the part I remember of the prophecy went like this. My hand will be upon you as you go, but you won't like it. <laughs> and nine months later, I'm sitting in jail. A few days later after Christmas, they put me on a KLM flight from Amsterdam to Sydney. And when I got back, my dad gave me this brochure of this one-week outreach with YOM, and I went and really recommitted my life to Christ, and the rest is history. Uh, you know, I'd given my life to the Lord when I was seven, mainly because my mom was, you know, encouraging me to do it, but then I really dedicated my life to Christ. And I wondered, what part in my conversion did my mother's prayers play? Does prayer actually change outcomes? So I'm walking this direction in my life, and people are praying, and essentially the outcome is going to be the same or is it instead of that is it that I'm going along and someone prays and actually there's a different outcome of circumstances that actually maybe there's a better word godcidences uh, not coincidences that happen as a result of prayers I, God didn't make me come back to him but he orchestrated the events around me to make it easier for me to come back to him in fact when I was looking I in, in the Greek, at different words in the Bible, I find that that's so helpful to see the real meaning of works. God works things together for good. Uh, it's the word energio in Greek, this, this word, which we get energized from. Okay? Energio. Uh, and, and so God doesn't make us go away a certain direction most of the time, but he influences us. He pushes us in a direction. And I, I, I realized later that's what God was doing with me. I still could have been bitter against him and, and not surrendered, but he made it easy for me to turn back to him. And I, I believe my mother's prayers played a huge part in that. And so um, I want to unpack this a little bit more. Spurgeon said, prayer changes you. And it does. But is that all it does? And I want to suggest that it does more than just change you, but actually it changes outcomes. So I was impacted by the life of a New Zealand, we call them Kiwis in Australia, a, a Kiwi Bible teacher called Joy Dawson. Now, the, the New Zealanders and, and Aussies, we're very good friends until we play rugby. Then, then we really hate each other for that period of time, and then we love each other again. So it's a love-hate relationship. Part of it is they've got these huge Maori guys, you know, that's just not fair. But anyway, so um, 
this New Zealand Bible teacher called Joy Dawson, she said this, and it, it just rocked my world. If all of your faculties were taken away from you, except a sound mind. So let's say you're in a car accident, you couldn't move. Your, all of your, your body function, bodily functions were inactive, except your brain was operating. She said, if all of your faculties were taken away from you, except a sound mind, you could change the course of history through the ministry of intercession. Whew. Wow, I'd never heard anything like that before. It resonated with my heart. Um, she described intercession as creating with God to produce outcomes in accordance with his will. Uh, and so the question is, are there things God has left unresolved? Not because he can't make them happen, but he's left them purposely unresolved so that we can partner with him to bring about a solution. Is God a relational God and it's about partnership? Is that, is that why he would do that? And I want to suggest to you today that, that yes, that is what it is. That God actually wants us to co-create with him. Genesis 1.1 says, this is all part of the introduction, and then I'm going to kind of organize this, okay? But I always write, in red, because Jesus used to write in red as well. Okay, so Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Just stop there. In the beginning, God created. Let me ask you, was that the last time that he created? Or is he still creating? If he's the living God, is he still creating? And if he's still creating new things, then does he give us the opportunity to co-create with him? And I believe that's right Right in the middle of that, you insert the power of prayer and intercession. So let's chapter and verse this, okay? So what, what, color, what color should we use? Purple. Okay, purple. Someone said pink in the first service. It was a girl for sure. Okay, A. Okay. Uh, a. Let's be clear about this. God is in control of history. The strategic level, big picture events that are going to take place, God is orchestrating those and, and controlling, and he's in charge of all those things, okay? And it's going to go his way. And Jesus is going to come back. There's a specific point in time in the Father's heart. There are events that will take place, including, by the way, the rise and fall of nations. Daniel 2.21 tells us that he removes kings and establishes new ones, Daniel 2.21. So uh, uh, sometimes uh, by their actions, people deserve an evil ruler and God allows such to come forth. And there are times we read throughout history where this has happened, where it's part of God's judgment, okay, on nations. And, and the boundaries of nations, God has established ahead of time, Acts 17.26 uh, says that he has appointed, pre-appointed the times and boundaries of every nation on earth. That's why the Bible is full of prophecy. Because God simply says, the direction of history is going to go this way, and some of it I'm going to make go this way. Okay? If things go sideways, he just intervenes. But things happen according to God's will, uh, strategically. That's why in the Bible, according to J. Barton 
contains encyclopedia on biblical prophecy in the Bible. There are 31,173 verses. And you know what? 8,352 are prophetic in nature, he says. A quarter of the Bible is prophetic. Every other major religious book is suspect for its lack of prophecy. The Bible is full of them because he's the true God. He's the God of history, the living God who is saying this is the way it's going to go. But sometimes things kind of go sideways. So let me, for those who do like pink, I'll use pink for the numbers. Okay, so sometimes God has to intervene when his will is not being done. God intervenes when people oppose his will. He uses in the Bible this word, lest. The word lest, or in Spanish, para que no. Voy a hacer esto para que esto no pase. Para que no. I'm going to do this so that this won't happen. That's the word lest. I'm going to fill up the, car, the rental car with fuel when I go back to the airport. Lest I run out of gas on my way to the airport because it's almost unempty. Okay? Lest. I'm not going to take a nap this afternoon lest I lie awake till 3 in the morning again. <laughs> the Bible uses the word lest. Exodus 13, 17. God led them by a different way, talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. Lest when they meet the Philistines, they would want to return to Egypt. God purposely led them by a different way so they wouldn't meet, meet them, lest they make a choice that would go against what he wanted and then he would have to intervene sovereignly. And he didn't want to do that, so he led them by a different way. Genesis 4.15 God put a mark on Cain, lest anyone try to take his life. Judges chapter 7 verse 2, God told Gideon to reduce the size of his army, lest they give themselves credit for the victory. If necessary, God will even... override a person's free will. He's given us free will, but he'll override it sometimes. That was the case with Balaam, Nehemiah, chapter 13, verse 2. Nehemiah was a witch doctor who was hired by this evil king to speak out a curse on Israel. And if someone was to say curses don't matter, well, why did God change it into a blessing? Balaam God warned him through his donkey. I would think if an animal speaks to you, you know, it maybe is supernatural and you should listen. Okay? God told him, don't do this. He went ahead. He wanted the money that was given to him. He opened his mouth to speak a curse, and it, God changed it into a blessing. Just think of him. He's speaking out the curse, and actually it's a blessing. <laughs> and then, then we have the example of Pharaoh. God hardened his heart to accomplish his strategic purposes for the, the nation of Israel. Now, lest anyone feel sorry for poor Pharaoh, let me point out that he hardened his own heart the first five times. And then God hardened his heart. When someone 
hardens their heart toward God, they become a candidate for God to use them without their permission. And he's done that. So, that's not in question. But I'm, I want to build the context for prayer, okay? I'm a context person. How many are context people? Yeah? Okay. I've been accused of giving too much context sometimes. And, uh, you know, you ask me the time and I give you the history of the watch. <laughs> I won't do that today. Uh, so, this then leads to B. God is in control of history. And I'll pose this as a question, because that's how Jesus many times would teach. <laughs> but does he control every single event that happens in history? And I want to suggest to you the answer is no. That not everything is God's will that happens. Some things go against his will. Because if everything that happens is God's will, then God wants for some babies to be born deformed, and God wants for women to be raped, and God wants for there to be wars and for millions of refugees coming out of Syria and Afghanistan, if everything is his will. I want to show you where it talks about this in Scripture. So... Uh, if everything is God's will, he wanted a gunman to come into our YWAM ministry and open fire. He was a former student, bitter at God, had backslidden, shot four of our staff. Two of them died that night. One of them, Tiffany, was like a daughter to us. So painful. And by the way, I know that Chris said, this is for sale, but if you can't afford it, I want you to have one, okay? I brought enough, and if you can only afford a few dollars, I want you to have it. If, you, if, if what I'm telling you right now just resonates and you want to dig into it more, okay? So this happened. A whole community is thrown into a tailspin, and, and why would God allow this? And, you know, in, in our small minds, I think we, but, but our desire for justice, we feel like if God was truly just, bad things would only happen to bad people. You know, if God is love, as the scriptures contend, why is there so much suffering in the world he created? Why do innocent people suffer? And there are no easy answers to these questions. But part of it for me was in digging into the word of God and going, okay, is everything that happens your will? And I found that in the scriptures, there are two, two main words that indicate the will of God. And by the way, if you think my G's look like sixes, I know that already. I've been told that. So don't tell me. Okay, so here they are. The first, the first word is bulamai. Oh, sorry, it's bulamai. And the second word in Greek is thelema. And bulamai mainly refers to what God has established. Whereas thelema is God's desire or wish. 
And it's translated his will. That's what he wills. He wants to see this happen. For example, in 2 Peter 3.9, it's bulamai. God is not willing that any should perish. To me, that means God hasn't set in, in stone that anyone has to perish. There's hope for anyone. He does not desire that anyone would perish. Okay, that's the word bulamai. Thelema, for example, Matthew 6.10, Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your wishes, your purposes. Bulamai is used primarily in the Bible as God's, God's preferred will. Or another scripture, for example, is, is, is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. It's the word thelema. Do you give thanks in everything? I know there are times I've been ungrateful and God's convicted me. And I've been grumpy. I mean, before coffee in the morning usually. Uh, if I'm ungrateful, I'm out of the will of God. It's not his will for me. That's the word thelema. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 means. And so, does everything that happens, is it God's will? I don't believe so. So, here's where prayer comes in. Are you ready? Okay. So, C. Not yes in Spanish, but the letter C. Even when you know something is God's will, you might still have to pray it into existence. Why? Because he's wanting to partner with us. When you know God's will, for example, God said to his friend Isaiah, Come, let's reason together. Isaiah 118. I'll use my mind. You use your little mind. <laughs> let's think this thing through. What an incredible statement. Come, Isaiah, let's reason together. The God of the universe who flung the stars into space, that is, the current known universe is 90 billion light years across. This God said to a man, Come, let's reason together. Is that what he wants? Yes, that's what he wants. He invites us to come and partner with him to bring about his purposes on earth. Isn't that what Abraham did? God intimated to him, Genesis 18, verse 24 through 32. Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of this sin. Abraham said, but God, what if there are 50 righteous? It wouldn't be just of you to do that. God said, I know, you're right. Okay, if there are 50 righteous, deal. I won't destroy them. But okay, God, what about 45? Okay, if there are 45. What about 40, though? Okay, if there are 40. And how about 30? Okay, 20. Fine. What about 10? <laughs> okay, if there are 10. What was he doing? He wasn't twisting God's arm. He knew God's character. He knew God wanted to show mercy. God has to bring judgment but he wants to show mercy. And one of the ways, if you'll allow this oxymoron, 
that God is impartially partial is when someone stands in the gap and says, no, Lord, don't do this. Or yes, Lord, do this, I pray. And God steps into that situation and he still, his justice is of his character is preserved even though he intervenes in that situation. But he doesn't show mercy at the expense of his justice. It's always in the context of doing the right thing. What's amazing about the God of the Bible is he didn't just invent morality for humans. He himself lives within the parameters of what is right and wrong. And he won't allow himself to do something that's not right. But our prayer, our intercession allows him to intervene and still keep his justice intact. Wow. And so why did Abraham stop at 10? Maybe, maybe he could have said, what about five? And God would have said, yes. And how about two? What about one? Number one, it seems to me as I read through the scriptures that some things will not happen unless we pray. The people were in sin, Ezekiel 22. 30 and 31. The elders deserve God's judgment, but God shared with Ezekiel, I'm looking, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap, okay, between God and the people and, and make a wall between me and the land so I don't have to bring judgment on them. Verse 31, but I found no one. So I had, to, I had to do the right thing. I had to bring judgment. The fact that God was looking for an intercessor meant that it was possible an intercessor could have been found. And if an intercessor could have been found who was willing to stand in the gap and make a wall, judgment could at least have been delayed. Wow. How powerful is that? Wow. This prayer thing, no wonder the enemy wants us to be lazy and not pray because I want to, I want to suggest to you prayer changes outcomes. Yes, it changes you, but it actually changes the outcome through God influencing situations. Some things will only happen if we pray. Number two, other things will only happen if we pray. This was the case with King Hezekiah in Isaiah 38. Isaiah was the prophet in Israel during the reign of King Hezekiah. And God spoke to him and said, go tell the king he's going to die to put his affairs in order. Isaiah gives him the message, the king doesn't want to die. I mean, how many want to die? Okay, so he, um, he falls on his knees. God, I don't want to die. God taps Isaiah on the, the shoulder and says, go back. Tell him, verse 5, tell him I've added 15 years to his life. Why does the Bible say God added the 15 years if he was already going to live those extra 15 years anyway? Evidently, his prayer changed the outcome because he prayed. Another time God said to Moses, Exodus 32, you know, I've had enough, Moses, of this stiff-necked people, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to wipe them out. 
Now, God doesn't want to do this, okay, but he, he has to bring judgment when it's necessary. But listen, I'm going to start over with you. And Moses said, no, you can't do that, Lord. And God said, leave me alone. <laughs> but Moses knew God really did want to show mercy. And Moses said, look, God, would you just kill me? Let me, let me be, stand in their place and kill me instead and let them live. And, and, and Psalm 106 tells us, verse 23, that had not Moses intervened, God would have done it. Wow. Okay, so let me give you the ground rules, okay, because we're running out of time. Darren told me Pastor Chris never goes over, so that I should stay within the... That's not what he said. (laughs) D, the ground rules of intercession, okay? It's important to understand what the rules are, right? Because you've got to stay within the rules. Driving on the right side of the street is, is a good rule, unless you're in England. It's a bad rule in England, okay? <laughs> I remember reading about Sweden when they switched over from the left side to the right side. In the same day, everybody had to drive on the other side in 1958. A whole bunch of people had accidents, but then the switchover happened, okay? You've got to know what the ground rules are, okay? So what are the ground rules of intercession? Number one rule, God won't force anyone to be in relationship with him. You can pray for them. Won't force anyone to love him. Because love relationships have to be free. Love doesn't have to have a reciprocal answer because you can love someone who doesn't love you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you can even love your enemies. But a love relationship is different. It it requires a response from the other person or it can't exist. For example, there was a girl in high school back in Buenos Aires called Monica. Monica was the bomb. I tell you, Monica ticked all the boxes for me. There was just one problem. Monica didn't find me attractive. Can you believe that? Okay, so <laughs> so, what are you laughing about? So... Um, it would have been impossible for me to have a relationship with Monica without her consent. I couldn't have a relationship with her on my own. Okay? And God is faced with this because he created us for a relationship. It violates the principles of love relationship. Now, just, just suppose for the sake of argument that I came across the technology to implant a chip within Monica's brain while she was sleeping that would make her speak and act and do all the things that I wanted. Wouldn't that be amazing? Someone take that young man outside and smack him around a little bit. It wouldn't be great because it would be a sham, right? I'd get tired of it after a while because the truth is it wouldn't be Monica really loving me, okay? As much as it would might satisfy my own desires and my flesh, um, it would be a complete sham uh, because it would just be me loving me. For love, if you want to write this down, for, for, I don't have time to write it down, but for love to be real, it must be possible to choose against it. For love to be real, it must be possible to choose against it. There had to be one tree, forbidden tree in the garden. Just one. Or if not, they wouldn't have been free. 
And God stacked the deck for Adam and Eve, didn't he? I mean, he only gave them one bad option. They could have eaten from any tree in the whole garden. They chose to eat from the one that broke off their relationship with him and, and screwed up all of us too. That's why we die. <laughs> but God's not going to force anyone to love him. Okay, second one for the young man in the Argentina shirt here. Um, God, God will not force anyone to love you. Let's say me. Okay, you personally. So let's say you come to a church and there's a girl there in the, in the Enhance Your Chance singles group. And you, <laughs> you, you go, oh, Lord. And you begin to pray, Lord, make her fall in love with me. Okay, let me, let me, have, let me just give you a prophetic word, young man. The Lord would say, you're on your own. <laughs> okay, number three. Uh, You've got, to play. You've got to make sure you have to pray according to God's will, not your own. Okay? Well, how, how do you know? Ask Him. He's the living God. He speaks. He speaks in many different ways. Hebrews 1.1 says that He spoke to our forefathers at many times and in many ways. He has many ways to speak. He'll speak to you. He'll show you. He might not say what you want to hear, though. Just, right? He might say no. Here's this great man of God who had to learn this lesson. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Lord, he asked. Three times he asked for the same thing. Finally, God said, Paul, stop asking me for that. It's not my will. My grace is sufficient, but I'm not going to take away the thorn in the flesh. So just chill. <laughs> 1 John 5.14 and this is the confidence we have with him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us number four once, once you've settled once you know God's will Pray without ceasing. Keep praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Whoops. Here's, here's a great definition for faith. Faith is praying until dot, dot, dot. Give him no rest. Keep on praying. The great evangelist George Mueller had, I think it was seven or eight of his friends who were unsaved that he prayed for. He was determined they were going to come into the kingdom. One by one, they all came to Christ, except one. One of them resisted the gospel for over six decades when he was asked, George Mueller said, he's going to be saved. I've been praying for his conversion for 63 years and eight months. He's going to be saved. How, it could be, how could it be otherwise? I'm praying for him. His friend resisted the gospel for that whole time. And George Mueller died, age 93. As his casket was being lowered into the ground, his friend fell to his knees. Oh, God. <laughs> 
have mercy on a sinner like me. And he gave his life to Christ. But George Miller never saw it with his own eyes. But we're going to be there one day. Can you imagine when he spots his friend across the room? And that, on that day when we're gathered together in God's presence. Whew, man, I love it. How important is prayer? Jesus is doing it 24-7. It's his main thing that he does. So when you woke up this morning, brother, Jesus had been praying for you all night. <laughs> okay, so could he do it without us? A hundred percent. It's not that he couldn't do it without us. It's not about his ability or inability. It's about his strategy. And his strategy evidently is to include us. In bringing about his purposes on earth. He wants that relationship. He wants partnership. Not because he can't do it without us. But because he wants us to participate with him. And one of the ways we do that is in prayer. God, what is it that you want to do in this situation? And then acting in accordance with his will. To pray it into existence. To do the will of God. That's what it means to be the middle man or the middle person okay the middle woman okay so here we go e i'm about to land the plane here okay so the role of the middle man god there are things he's not going to do without that middle man or middle woman and there are areas in which he won't move unless we pray and he's astonished when we don't This is what it means to stand in the gap. First thing, to have a clean heart. To be in a right relationship with him in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. James 5, 16. It's the prayer of the righteous that has great power. Number two, accurate information. Be careful because there's a lot of fake information. But get accurate information so you can find out. Get it from some people that have boots on the ground there. What is really going on? And then, God, what is it that you intend to do in this situation? And then begin to pray and pray. And don't lose heart, especially guys, because the truth is women are mostly more spiritual than us. Jesus, recognizing this, said, Luke 18, 1, that men ought to pray and not lose heart. Men, specifically. He singled us out don't lose heart. Don't give up because prayers are not answered right away. But something is going on in the heavenlies when we pray. So let me give you some quotes in closing and then I want to tell you a story. So here's what others have said about the power of prayer. E.M. Bounds said, prayer works so well in crisis. It's a wonder why we don't implement it on a regular basis. <laughs> Paul Bilheimer Prayer is the most important factor in shaping human history. Old Hallesby, the Norwegian pastor. In prayer, the church has received the power to rule the world. If it would stay together on its knees, it would dominate world politics from the prayer room. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. When man works, man works. When man prays, God works. The great South African writer, Andrew Murray the ones who mobilize the church to pray. They will make the greatest contribution in history to world evangelization. 
and my favorite, Joy Dawson. If all of your faculties were taken away from you except a sound mind, you could change the course of history through the Ministry of Intercession. So I was at a meeting with a great man of God called Lauren Cunningham. Lauren and Darlene Cunningham started Youth with a Mission. And I had heard this story of this Scottish pastor called Duncan Campbell. And I wanted to verify it because I knew Lauren had met Duncan Campbell many years ago. And he, there were a couple of little details I, I had wrong. But this is the story. Duncan Campbell is at this large event getting ready to preach. They've invited him. He's the keynote speaker. I think it was the final night of the conference. He's sitting up on the stage with all these other pastors, and God speaks to him. Go to the Hebrides. The Hebrides are these islands off the coast of Scotland. And so he has learned, as a man of God who's walked with God, that this was the voice of God. And he said, yes, Lord. Then the voice of the Lord came again a second time. Go to the Hebrides now. Okay. Okay, Lord. As soon as I finish preaching, I'll go. A third time. Duncan, go to the Hebrides now. <laughs> so he's, he said, he turned to the guy that was leading the conference and he said, the Lord told me I have to leave. And he said, what do you mean? He said, the Lord told me to go to the Hebrides. And he said, well, can you just wait? I'm, they're singing the last song. I'm about to introduce you. And, and Duncan, uh, Pastor Duncan Campbell said, well... I will, have be, I will be of no use to you here because God has called me elsewhere. So he split. I don't know who preached that night, but it wasn't Duncan Campbell. He gets home, gets on the next ferry to the Hebrides, to the Isle of Wight. He gets over there, gets off the ferry. He's looking around. There's no one there. He doesn't know anyone. There's a, a young boy there, maybe 12 or 13. And he, he says, hey, are there any churches here? And, and the boy says, oh, the churches here on this island are dead. They're all dead. But I know that that church up on the hill, one of the elders is, lives in that house. So he trekked up to the house, knocks on the door. This man opens the door. Brother Campbell, we've been waiting for you. They'd actually sent out invitations. They'd printed uh, material saying they were having this, this evangelism crusade, and they'd invited Duncan Campbell. He never responded. He never got any of the stuff. God told them to be there. He said, oh, go down there. Uh, see that house down there? That's, that's one of the other elders. They're all waiting for you to have dinner. He goes down there. People are sitting in there. He has dinner. They go to church. He preaches this powerful sermon. And, and do you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing happened. So, <laughs> because, isn't that just like God? Our timing and his is sometimes a little bit off. But So, you know, they're, they're standing around after having biscuits, I mean, that, that's cookies in over there, and, uh, and some tea. We drink tea all day, and, and, uh, uh, and then someone comes running in. Quickly, come outside! And they run out, and people are on the ground, on their knees, lying down, groaning, crying like a bomb went off, but it wasn't. It was such intense conviction of sin descended at that Revival broke out. Duncan Campbell told Lauren Cunningham, the first guy to get up off his knees got up at 4.30 in the morning. And, and like a wildfire, whew, an outpouring, a spiritual awakening swept through the Hebrides Islands. Why? Why would God do that? Well, Duncan Campbell was willing to obey God. But later, this is who he gave the credit to. He meets this little prayer group that have been praying for revival. 
And two of the members are these two little old ladies. One of them is kind of doubled over with arthritis at this point. The other is almost completely blind. They had been praying from 10 at night till 4 in the morning every night, six hours every night for 20 years for God to pour out his spirit. In the book of Revelation, we're told that, that there are vials of incense, okay? Maybe every prayer is a specific container. Some are going to take longer to fill, okay? And then they're poured out before God's throne, you know? Here's, here's somebody's headache, a little one, okay? So, you know, but, it, but when it gets filled up, then it overflows and gets answered, okay? This one's going to take a lot longer to fill up, okay? And then, then it tells us that the vials of in, the incense are the prayers of the saints. Wow. And so, you know what happened? It got to the top. God poured out His Spirit, <laughs> so, I want to, as we go back into worship, I want to, uh, if this resonates with you, to make this your prayer. And I don't know if you want to even just come to the altar to recommit yourself, because I know for me, I'm lazy many times. I'm like, Lord, isn't there a place for someone who wants to lay in the gap rather than stand in the gap? I don't want to get up. It's cold, Lord. I, it's inconvenient. I have to go to work in a few hours. What lame excuses I give to the Lord. God, if this is your prayer, help us. Can I have the worship team come forward then to hear your voice? To understand the will of God. And then step and then step into the gap. Into that void, i.e. gap. To bring it to pass on earth. Would you stand with me for a moment? Lord. We see that you're a good God. We see that, that you've included us. Thank you. you. Thank you for including us. You made us in your image with minds, emotions, and a will like you so that we could interact with you. And Lord, we thank you for this powerful, this powerful tool that you've given to us. Lord, we want to add it to our tool belt here to use this on a regular basis. We know, Lord, that you... You want to see things happen. And we thank you that outcomes can be changed. Because someone prayed. Continue to speak to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.